You may be seated. Good morning. morning. Almost feels like spring out there. I start looking for buds. There are little buds on some of the bushes and trees. I'm going to open this morning inspired by something we had out of our daily word this week. And it was from Luke 22, verse 27. It says, for those for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves. And the very first paragraph sort of nailed it. When we think of Jesus' earthly ministry, we tend to think of headline moments such as miracles and confrontations with the Pharisees. But mostly, he invested in a close circle of followers, especially the 12 disciples. As A.B. Bruce wrote in the training of the Twelve, they entered on a regular apprenticeship for the great office of apostleship, in the course of which they were to learn in the privacy of an intimate daily fellowship with their master what they should be, what they should do, what they should believe and teach as his witnesses and ambassadors to the world. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your inspiration this day and this week, all this past week, and we look for your inspiration today through our prayers, your word, through our pastor's message, through the praise and worship songs, and through the whole rest of the day. You Touch each and every heart this year, this day, Lord, and, and give us a direction that we can follow in your steps so that we can go out and be your ambassador to our country, to our community, and to the people we work with, and to our, our own relatives, our own families. So, Lord, we look for that direction each, each moment, and we, we look for you that, for that inspiration. So we thank you, Lord. And as we open this service, we just thank you for being here and being a part of each and every one of us this morning. In your holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. And I believe Tom's going to come up and give our announcements and prayer, family prayer time. Good morning. Well, I don't know about you, but... uh, uh, COVID is really going around, isn't it? You know, Megan and I had COVID for uh, last two Sundays, and then before that we had a cold in our family. So I wanted to uh, also mention there are quite a few people in our church right now who are uh, going through uh, COVID. So I wanted to um, mention uh, these in our prayer request time. But first, let's look at announcements. Uh, Turn on the back of your bulletin. And look there at the top of your page. You'll see all the different activities and functions that are happening this week. And uh, we have uh, another announcement. Uh, Diane, are you here? Right there. Uh, Diane has a letter she would like us uh, like uh, like to read the body. Both <laughs> for uh, your constant care in our lives. Lord, you watch over, you care for the small things and the big things in our life. Lord, I pray that we would not just 
only take the big things, Lord, but that we would share our hearts to you as a body, as individuals, Lord, that we come together, Lord, to confess, God, that we need you. And you are a holy and awesome God. We've come this morning against some, against a lot of odds, some with difficulty in our lives, some with struggles. Lord, whatever those might be, Lord, we come because we want to worship you. That's why we're here. We're here to honor you. We're here to honor your word that you command us to come and not forsake the gathering. Lord, we are here to bring you honor and glory. Lord, I pray that somehow you would take our concerns, our worries, our fears, our anxieties, Lord, our hurts, and that we could lay them aside, even if it's just for a few hours, a short time to worship you, to turn our eyes off of ourselves and onto you. Lord, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. You are the God who will provide for all our needs, all our cares. Lord, you desire us to come to you more than we desire to come to you. You want us to come before your throne, to kneel before you like Isaiah, prostrate in our heart, Lord. We come to you to worship you. Meet us here this morning, Lord. As we come into your presence, transform us, change us, Lord, by your power and your grace and your holiness. Lord, I pray, we pray, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy that you show us, Lord, when we do not deserve it. We do not deserve your mercies that are new every morning. We do not deserve, Lord, all the blessings that you've given us and continue to give us and pour out on us. Lord, but we come to acknowledge that we don't deserve, but we're grateful, Lord, for your promise. We're grateful for your sacrifice. And Lord, we want to respond in that gratefulness, in that heart of gratefulness and worship. We want to respond by giving you praise and worship, Lord. Help us to do that this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. One big happy family. That's, that's one of the things we're going to talk about today, as a matter of fact. Fellowship. Fellowship. Uh, wh- what do you think of the word, or what do you think of when you hear that word, fellowship? Fellowship? That's good. I like, I, I like that too. Thank you. Yes, for, for some it might be uh, you know, our, our mulling around that we do after, after the service, before the service. Uh, Going over to people's houses, you know, I think that a lot of times that might be what it boils down to as we think of food. <laughs> but, and you know, there's a biblical basis for that in Acts. You know, it talks about the disciples devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread. So, you know, there's some, something about gathering around the table. But, uh, you know, Christian fellowship goes really probably beyond what most of us think of when we, uh, when we talk about fellowship. You know, with, without good, godly Christian fellowship, uh, we're, we're seriously lacking, seriously lacking. You know, we, we live in a very individualistic society. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the... Uh, the, the the prime example you know selfies posting my picture 
everybody's everybody's so interested in, in what I ate and you know what what I'm what I'm wearing today and all, all that. Anyway, I think we bought into something maybe maybe a little unbiblical. You know, we we need fellowship. We need fellowship with God, and we need fellowship with each other. Uh, Chuck Swindoll in in his book uh, "Dropping Your Guard." quotes Bruce Larson, who says, The Europeans who came to settle North America found it vast and unexplored. Self-reliant was the watchword. And the scout, the the mountain man or the pioneer with his axe and rifle over his shoulder became the national hero. In the early days, the government gave away quarter sections of land to anyone who would homestead in, in order to encourage settlement. People flocked west from crowded cities and villages to have their own land at last. Before they could farm the land they had chosen, though, their first job was to build a a sod hut to live in. And most families built them right smack dab in the middle of their quarter section. And the reason was obvious. People who had never owned land before had this new sense of uh, pride and ownership. They wanted to feel that everything they saw around them belonged to them. Many of us don't have that privilege <laughs> these, these days. Uh, but you know that, he said that this, this custom changed quickly. The chosen isolation did strange things to people. Occasionally photo, photographers went out to record life on the frontier and they learned with, or returned with photographs of weird men wild-eyed women, and haunted-looking children. Before long, most of these families learned to move their houses to one corner of the property. Four families living together, sharing life and death, joy and sorrow, abundance and want, had a good chance of making it. Now, we're going to start a new series today. We're going to be talking about First John and as I as I read First John's introduction, as I as I was going through it over the last couple of weeks, you know this uh, this one word just really jumped out at me, and that is fellowship. This this letter is largely about fellowship, fellowship with God, fellowship with each other, fellowship based on Jesus Christ. In our text this morning is from the first chapter of John. We're going to cover the first four verses, but I'd like to go over a little background before we get started there. You know, I think it helps to know the context, helps to know a little about who wrote the book and, you know, what were the, what were the current issues, what, what was going on at the time this was written. And so we'll, we'll talk about John's purpose also for writing the letter and then uh, look at how we can take this passage and make some application. How do we live this? God wants us to be more than just hearers of the word. He wants us to be doers of the word. Let's first look at the background. Who's the author of 1 John? You know, it's, not, it's not really a, qu- a trick question. Uh, it's, you know, does it say anywhere in, in this letter who wrote it? You know, when Paul wrote his letters, he said, Paul, Paul an apostle. You know, we, we have some other letters that, that don't, you know, Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. But um, very early on in the church, we have evidence that uh, the early church 
knew John as the writer of this apostle. There, there was never really any question about it. Uh, several of the early writers, including uh, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, referred to this epistle as, as John's writing. Uh, that's that's, ex, that's external evidence. We also have internal evidence by the way it was written. Uh, when, we, when we went through Greek classes in seminary, uh, either the Gospel of John or 1 John, actually both were our first assignments in, in translation. And I realized as I was translating that this was definitely written. These were definitely written by the same person. Same vocabulary. Same sentence structures. John, John's writing style is actually very simple and very straightforward. Unlike Paul. Unlike Paul who likes very long sentences. One of his sentences sometimes will cover a whole page practically it seems. This is internal evidence. You know, John's very straightforward. That's one thing I really like about John. Very simple straightforward. He says what he means. He means what he says. He's got a powerful message for us as individuals and and as a church, something we really need. John was a real old guy, real old man when he, when he wrote this letter. He also wrote his, his gospel as, as an old man. The, uh, the gospel of John is thought to be, thought to have been written sometime between, uh, 85 and 90 AD. First John, probably around AD 90. Probably the gospel was written first. And when we think about it, it at this time when, when Peter wrote this, Paul and Peter have been long gone. Their deaths had occurred uh, long ago. The destruction of Jerusalem had happened about 20 years before this. Really, a lot had happened. A lot had happened since uh, the uh, the ministry of Jesus when, when John walked with Jesus on, on the earth. John is frequently uh, called, well, he's called many things, but uh, one of them is the, uh, the, beloved, the beloved apostle. Why is he called that? You know, in the, uh, in the gospel of John, many times the writer says, in the, the apostle that Jesus loved, did this or that. I kind of like that. Who was the apostle Jesus loved? Who is the apostle Jesus loves? Me. And you. And you. Each one of us, we could say, is the the disciple, the the Christian that, that Jesus loves. He was... One of the 12, John was, he was also part of the, uh, the inner circle of three along with his brother James and, and Peter. Besides being called the uh, beloved apostle, he's also called the apostle of love. This letter, in this letter, the, the word for love that he uses, agape, occurs 28 times, if my count is right. That's almost as many times as it was used in the Gospel of John, which is, uh, according to my count, 35. You'll, you'll have to get in there and, and verify that. 
But you know, love is a major theme in, in John's writing and, and for a reason. There's a, there's a story which is told by John, the, uh, the fourth century theologian, Jerome tells a story that when John was old and frail and he was unable to walk, his disciples would carry him in to the gathering of the, of the believers on the Lord's day. And every week, his words to the congregation were short and simple. He would say, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. Whenever he'd come in, he'd say that. Little children, love one another. Week after week, week after week, until at last one of the one of the people a little weary of, of these repeated words, uh, one of his disciples said, Master, why do you always say this? And he said, because it is the Lord's command, and if this only is done, it's enough. Little children, love one another. That is so important. I don't know if you've ever seen medieval paintings of John, but he's always depicted in these paintings as being kind of uh, thin and frail, pale-skinned, weak, very soft-looking. Of course, Jesus is frequently painted that way too in the the middle medieval paintings, and and so are the other disciples, most of them, but uh, John especially. But the fact is that John seems to have been a pretty rough character when he was when he was younger, you know, he he and his brother James were fishermen. Uh, they they were among the first that uh, Jesus called to to be his disciples. And in Matthew four, we have the record of how Jesus called Simon and Andrew, these two brothers, Simon and Andrew, by the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said to them, "Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." And then later, he saw two other brothers. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. And immediately they left their boats and followed him. By the way, just as a side, it's interesting that the first four disciples that Jesus chose were brothers, two, two pairs of brothers. You know, there, there seems to be some affinity that God has for siblings to work together in, in ministry. You know, think of some other ones. There, there's actually quite a few in the Bible, but, you know, the first one for me that comes to mind besides these guys are uh, Moses, his brother Arian, Aaron, and his sister Miriam. So there were, there were three there. In, in church history, the same thing. Think of uh, John and Charles Wesley, famous brothers in the in the ministry anyway in in the early days when they were walking with Jesus John and James were uh, pretty quick tempered pretty uh, pretty quick to amp uh, to anger very very harsh you know Jesus in fact because of this called them the sons of thunder the sons of thunder I, I can just see Jesus saying that with a with a little bit of smile on his his face and one time when a certain village did not receive Jesus, these two said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 
But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they, they went on to another village. That's in Luke 9, by the way, 945, or 54 to 55. You know, God did with John what he's good at doing. He changed him. He transformed him. He made him into another person. He made him into somebody who he was not originally. He went from being a son of thunder to the apostle of love. Pretty amazing. You know, it also helps to know what was going on at the time of of this writing. John addresses some of the problems that are happening at the time. But the writing is timeless because the same problems that were occurring then are occurring now. The same problems tend to reemerge throughout history. Uh, One one of the problems was uh, Gnosticism. You've probably heard about Gnosticism. Gnosticism actually is kind of difficult to to pin down, but it's a body of heretical teaching that was condemned by the early church. Uh, Generally, it's a a religious belief that emphasizes a, a, a kind of dualism and also the, the secret possession of knowledge. The, the Gnostics felt like, you know, we've got a corner on the knowledge market. We have it. Nobody else does. It was very uh, syncretistic. You know, it combined elements of different sources. It mixed Christianity with Greek philosophy Mixed it also with some of the other uh, mystery religions at the time. False religions. And when John wrote this, it was creeping into some of the churches. And we'll we'll point this out as, as we go along. It brought with it some, some false ideas that Paul, people like Paul and, and John needed to address. According to the New Bible Dictionary, the foundation stone of this belief was a radical cosmological dualism. The belief that the created world was evil and was totally separate from and in opposition to the world of spirit. The supreme God dwelt in unapproachable splendor in the spiritual world and had no dealings at all with the world of matter. Matter was the creation of an inferior being, the Demiurge. So what the Gnostics were basically saying was, spirit is good, material is bad. You know, we, and we see that in some, some of the writing also of uh, the Greek philosophers like uh, Plato. What's the problem with that view? The problem is what we know about Jesus. Jesus came into the material world as a man. He came as one of us. He was born of of Mary and he had flesh and blood and bones and hair and he ate and did all the things that that we do. He He was one of us. Yeah, I've said this before. The cults always get Jesus wrong, who Jesus was. And this is one way the Gnostics got Jesus wrong. You know, some cults go to one extreme saying that, you know, Jesus was not God. 
He's just a man. He was a real smart, wise man who was a good teacher and did good things. Just a man, though. Maybe just a prophet along with uh, the other prophets. Or that he was an angel. One very large cult in the United States and throughout the world believes that Jesus was the angel, the archangel Michael. Now, at the other extreme, some cults deny that Jesus really was a man, and this is the Gnostics. You know, I've heard I've heard the claim that they believe that if Jesus walked along the beach through the sand, he wouldn't leave footprints. So in this letter, John's going to address this false teaching that was starting to creep into the churches. In John 2.19, we'll see when we get to that in a few weeks, John is going to address these people who he calls antichrists. In chapter 4, he's going to tell us that we need to have discernment. He says we need to test the spirits to see whether they are from God because, he says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. 2,000 years later, we still have a lot of false prophets going out into the world. Now, Jesus' love, or excuse me, John's love for Jesus is is, uh, borne out in the introduction to this letter. You know, it's it's all about Jesus. In the introduction, he lays out his, his purpose in proclaiming Jesus. It's all about fellowship, he says. And his purpose in writing is, is for joy. It's for our joy. Let's look at the introduction. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So, purpose. Why did John write this? You know, he makes it clear. It's about Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, this kind of parallels the the introduction to the Gospel of John, those first few verses where it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. And we're going to see these words coming up again and again. Life, light. You know, both, both of these passages talk about the, the pre-incarnate Christ who was there co-eternally with, with the Father. Both passages also speak of the incarnate Christ. Christ coming, God coming to earth in the flesh. 
came as a human. One of us in the flesh, very different from what the Gnostics taught. And John says, we've experienced him. We were there. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. We, we ate with him. He, he barbecued some fish and ate that fish with us one time. We, he spoke to us. And it changed our lives. Uh, you know, probably some of us in, in this room, probably many of us have, have had brushes with celebrities. You know, you guys could tell your stories, but one of my stories that I tell sometimes is that I talked with Dizzy Gillespie. Does anybody know who he is? Yeah, one of the jazz greats. I went to this concert, very small concert. They had fewer people than are sitting in this room. It was like in this uh, this dining room, and we were sitting at tables. I think about 25 people. It was like almost like a private concert in, in Denver. I don't know why more people weren't there. They must not have advertised it well. But, you know, a couple of friends and I were there. We saw him play his, his bent horn and his, his cheeks puffing out as he played, and I'm just sitting there just awestruck. I was as close to him as, as I'm to Danny and Gretchen here as, as he played. And, you know, afterwards, he was, he was just out in the, the lobby mulling around, and me and my friends, we went and talked to him. He talked, Dizzy Gillespie talked to us and shook our hands and gave us his autograph. Well, Dizzy Gillespie's dead. His grave is in Queens, New York. His body's in that grave, and I believe most of his original, his original recordings were uh, burnt in a fire, the, the big Paramount fire, I think, in, in Los Angeles. It's gone up in smoke. But Jesus, John says we were there. Emmanuel, God with us. God in the flesh. Uh, wow. Uh, he wasn't an ordinary man. He, Jesus wasn't this wispy sort of ghost or he wasn't the product of somebody's imaginations. He wasn't the uh, product of some myth. He's not an abstract philosophical concept. John says, concerning the word of life, He's talking about Jesus, the word who was in the beginning with God. Jesus, the he calls him the word. The, the Greek word is logos. You've heard that. A lot of people say logos. Logos, the, the word of God, the expression of God, the message of God in the flesh. You know, the book of Hebrews also talks about this as it begins. Talks about how God he... God revealed himself through the prophets in the days of old, but now he's revealed himself through Jesus. Hebrews 1, 2 and 3. In these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of of his power. Glorious. Jesus is the word, the expression of God. Come as one of us. And John says, we have incontrovertible 
evidence of this, having seen him, having heard him, having touched him. And through this Jesus Christ who we were with, we have life. He is the life, the word of life. He continues in verse 2, saying, This life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Jesus, the, the way, the truth, and the life, the one through whom nobody can come to the Father without him. John says he was there in eternity past with God, and we saw him. We were there. I, was, I am here to bear witness, just as Jesus said I would do, the one through whom we can have eternal life. He says, that which we have, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is what it's all about. It's about fellowship with God, fellowship with Christ, and it's about our fellowship with each other. You know, some of you who are familiar with this book might be thinking, well, John gave us the, the purpose at the end of the book, and you would be right. Uh, what does it say? John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John begins and ends with his purpose It's all about Jesus, that we might have fellowship with him, that we might have joy in him and with each other, and that uh, we might believe with him in confidence and have the abundant life as we have this fellowship with him, that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, this is is the assurance that our, our lives are in him. You know, this goes way beyond getting our ticket to heaven punched. When does, when does our eternal life begin? It begins the moment we receive Jesus as our Savior. That's eternal life. We are experiencing eternal life. Our fellowship with God is, is the basis for our fellowship with each other. John ties these things together very tightly in this, this epistle. As we become more like Christ, as we are more conformed to the image of Christ, our fellowship with each other will be better. Without fellowship with God, we will stray into something else. We'll become selfish, we'll put each other above God, we'll put ourselves above each other or we may we may pattern our own thoughts and and actions and words after somebody else some other human besides God so you end up with little groups of people Paul talks about this I'm of Paul I'm of Apollos remember that in 1 Corinthians Jesus is the one we pattern ourselves after I love what uh, A.W. Tozer writes. He says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork 
will automatically be tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. Were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship? If we are tuned to God, if we have good fellowship with God, we're going to have good fellowship with each other. Period. So John is saying, we've encountered Jesus Christ. It has utterly changed us. We want to see you changed as well. Let's ask, how might this look in our day-to-day lives? And I, you know, we could, we could pick out more than this, but I want to look at three things. Okay, John's letter becomes, it begins with Jesus. His encounter with Jesus Christ, the living Christ, made a difference, changed his life. We need to ask ourselves, if we have had an encounter with the living Christ, how has it changed us? How has it changed our lives? How has it made a difference with us? How has it impacted the way we live day to day, moment by moment? Let's let's first ask this. John talks about, you know, we proclaim this Christ. Having experienced Jesus, do we bear witness to him? Do we proclaim him? You know, I wonder how many people around us in our community, our neighbors, have never heard of Christ. We kind of think in America that, uh, yeah, everybody is a Christian or goes to church somewhere or knows and has heard the gospel. I don't think that's true. Before I came here, I looked at the uh, demographics of, of Chowila, and you know, the biggest group in Chowila are the nuns. Not the ladies with the, with the bad habits and all that, but the you know no affiliation. Those nuns, yes, N O N E S. Do we tell people about our encounter with Jesus? Do people recognize that we have had that encounter to Jesus? You know, I think of this blind man that uh, John writes about in John chapter nine. Kind of a strange method here but Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and he said to him go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent so he went and washed and came back seeing and the man's neighbors were, were just so amazed at this they had seen this this kid grow up they wanted to know how this happened and the Pharisees also questioned him about it They asked him about this Jesus, and what did he tell them? He told them what Jesus had done for him. You know, he didn't know much about Jesus, but here's what he said. One thing I do know is I was blind, and now I see. Oh, that should be our testimony, should it not? We were spiritually blind. We were living in darkness, groping around, living in our sin, dead to God, separated from him, 
and we met Jesus. We had an encounter with our Lord Jesus and he gave us eternal life. He gave us the light. Now we see. Do we proclaim Jesus in how we treat others? You know, I wonder how many people see us as truly being different. Are we recognizable as as disciples of Christ? Are we? Are we are we recognizable as people who follow Jesus and are becoming more and more like him, being transformed, conformed to his image? You know, Jesus or John reports Jesus' words in John 13, 34 to 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know you're my disciples because you have love for one another. Question two. Having experienced Jesus, how's our fellowship with him? How is our fellowship with with him? When I was... When I was in the Air Force, I knew some couples who had marriages of convenience. The reason they, they got married was because they would get extra benefits from the government. They would have a job assignment preference to keep them together. So sometimes these couples would say, well, you know, uh, let's, let's get married. You have your room. I have my room. We're not really married, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go through the motions. We'll have a marriage of convenience. And when the benefits are no longer there, we'll split up. We'll get divorced. I knew more than one couple that that did this. No commitment. Each had the freedom to do what they wanted to do and with whom they wanted to do it. And I hope that our relationship with the Lord Jesus is not a marriage of convenience. I hope we don't have this attitude towards our relationship with him. Rather than a marriage of convenience, you know, as believers, we're called to have a deep, sincere, genuine relationship with, with our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus beckoned his disciples to come follow me. In Mark's gospel account, it said that he chose these disciples. He appointed 12 who he had called apostles that they might be with him that they might be with him. That should be our joy, being with our Lord, having close fellowship with him. Never forgetting his presence in our lives. You know, they spent time with him. They, they learned from him. They observed him. They talked with him. They listened to him and slowly over time became more and more like him. They were his disciples. They were his followers. So are we doing the same? Are we with him? Are we close with him? Question three. Having experienced Jesus, how is our fellowship with another? With one another? Based on our fellowship with him, we have fellowship with each other. We are a community of faith. You know, our faith is a, a personal thing, but it's never a private thing. God never meant for us to live in isolation. A Christian here, 
a Christian there. He created us to, to be in community and have fellowship with one another. Each of us is personally responsible for coming to Christ, believing in him, turning to him, receiving him as, as savior. But once we're in, we're part of the family. We're members of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ doesn't exist for my convenience. It doesn't exist to serve me. It doesn't exist to serve you, any of us. We exist to serve the body. You and I exist for the body. Well, this is a great book to uh, see how to live the Christian life. Very practical. We need this. Each of us individually, each of us together, all of us together need this book. You know, do we truly have fellowship with Christ? Are we, are we being utterly transformed and being made like him? Do we truly seek to have healthy, loving fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we? If not, I've got, the, I've got another question. Why are we here? Why are we here? Jesus said in Matthew twelve twenty five, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. We need to take these words to heart. Let's pray. Father, let your word speak to us. Let it dwell in us richly. Uh, Lord, you, you promised that if we would humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, you would hear our prayers from heaven and you would heal our land. Lord, we ask that you bring healing to our church. Lord, help, help us to take you seriously in what you say in this book. Lord, help us to uh, have true, loving, Christian fellowship in this church. Lord, fellowship with you. Lord, that we would come to you in true humility. Lord, that uh, we would desire to, to be with you, to live in your presence every moment. Lord, that we would have fellowship with each other. Lord, that we would turn from our sins and turn away from hatred and anger. Lord, that we would live in obedience to your commandment that we love one another just as you have loved us. That's a tall order, Lord, and we need your help with that. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior. Amen.
1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 12 and 13, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen.